want to share with you, just as we kind of come out of this time of worship, Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a passage we're all pretty familiar with. It's on the back of the cards in front of you. It says this, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. I want to start off with a confession. Um, I had an entirely different plan for this message on Thursday, and uh, things have changed since, so um, if things come out a little bit discombobulated, um, just trust that that's God leading this morning and not, uh, not my inefficiencies as a speaker. But as I was preparing this message, first... Um, we're talking about something that maybe I hope isn't, but it may, may feel a little uncomfortable. Um, we're talking about sin, and um, uh, but I hope you'll just stick it out this morning. Uh, make a commitment to me, if you will, for the next uh, 40 minutes to, to just stick with us and, and uh, let God, God speak as he may. But I had this, you know, I had, I had this great outline. I had like six points. I mean, for all you note takers, it was going to be bliss. I mean, you're going to have six points to write down. You have six things with a whole bunch of scripture. We, stay, we still might get to some of those. But um, as I was kind of praying about it over Friday and Saturday, just that didn't feel like the right approach. It didn't feel like the right thing. It didn't feel like all the right content. And some of it's good. Well, you'll probably hear it down the road because I worked hard on it, so you'll hear it again. But um, more than anything, as I get up here, I want to be faithful to what God wants us to hear. More than you hearing a good message that I put together, more than you hearing um, great words that I labored on over the week. I want us as a body to hear from God on a Sunday morning. I don't I don't want us to ever get to the point where we just come and expect three points because that's what God does. I want us to come and gather together and expect God to do whatever he wants in our midst and then for us to be faithful and following in, in, those, in those steps. So that's what I'm trying to do this morning. It won't come out perfectly, uh, but I, I hope you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to say. How many of you have been overwhelmed by something in your life? Yeah, probably, I thought everyone would go up. Good. Yeah. Um, so everyone just say, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Chances are pretty good you're overwhelmed with something right now. There may, every one of us probably at some, something, some area of our life right now, at this point in time, we feel overwhelmed about something. Um, it could be your job. Maybe your job is pushing you to the limit, and it's just, it's more than you know how to handle with your mind or with your physical skill, and it's, and it's just, it's pushing you, you're overwhelmed with your job. Or um, I know that we have felt this way. Uh, we have four kids, and so every moment that our kids are awake is a moment of possibly feeling overwhelmed. I thought I'd get an amen on that one from some of the parents out there. <laughs> 
Because, because when you have kids running around the house and you have four different personalities and four different ages and four different um, desires, four different um, motives, four different wants, then you have this kid that wants to do that, but that kid doesn't want to do what that kid wants to do, and neither does this kid want to do what this kid wants to do, and this kid isn't old enough to know what the others are wanting to do, and she just wants to fit in. And so you have all of these potential conflicts that can really overwhelm you. Or if, you've, if you don't have four kids, if you've ever had a kid, then you know within those first, uh, first what, four to six hours of, of having that kid, everything feels overwhelming. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm a parent. Hey, this is my responsibility. Uh, I have to make sure that this little thing stays alive. That's, that's on me now, you know. <laughs> um, so, so I've, I've felt overwhelmed from time to time. I'm sure, you know, probably some of you students have felt overwhelmed from time to time. You felt like there's no way I can get through this semester. The, the classes are just too hard. The content is just too deep. There's no way that I can get to the end. There's no way I can make it through. Or, or maybe some of you feel this way with, with an issue like money. Maybe you feel overwhelmed because you just don't have the money that you need to get through. I'm, I'm sure that there's somebody that feels that way this morning. You need more money, right? And, and if you just had more money, then, then you wouldn't feel overwhelmed. But, but right now, you don't have enough money, and so life is overwhelming because everything in life costs money. And so um, if you want to live, you have to have money. And if you want to die, then you don't need any money anymore. And we all want to live. And so, um, so we would just wish we had more money so we could get through this life. You know, there's a lot in life that can feel overwhelming. And this morning, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it maybe a little bit differently. But here's the thing I want you to remember this morning. What overwhelms you controls you. What overwhelms you controls you. So when you're overwhelmed with something, and I'm sure you've, you've, you've gone through this, when you were overwhelmed by that thing, it's like everything else in the world disappeared, right? Everything else in the world just kind of faded away. When, when you had that baby for the first time, it's like you're looking, you're looking at this precious miracle of God, and everything else just kind of goes away. When you're in the midst of a crisis, everything else kind of goes away, and this crisis becomes the only thing going on in your life at that moment in time. There, there, there's all these avenues and facets of our life that we are normally going through, but, but when this crisis comes, then all of a sudden it feels like everything else is out, and this is the only thing. What overwhelms you controls you. And I want to talk about that this morning from the area of sin. Now, I'm not, I'm not just to just so put you at ease a little bit, I'm not going like to start, start pointing out Sins. I'm not going to start pointing out names. You know, I'm not going to go down the, down the aisle and tell you to, to share with the congregation what your sin is this morning. It's not going to happen, so you can relax. Um, but I want to talk about how sin relates to sun stand still and, and how sin is actually something that can keep the sun from standing still in your life. This is our last week in the series, Sun Stand Still. We, we've spent three weeks. We've been talking about sun stand still prayers and how we want to pray prayers that are big and bold and audacious and that they're big enough that God is the one that has to get the glory for it because only God could do what happened. And so that's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to pray the kind of prayers that, that, that when God moves, it's clear that it's God moving, not our strategies, not our desires, not, not our ambitions. It's God that is moving. And so, so that's kind of the whole idea of the sun stand still prayer. But I want to talk about the key to unlocking that sun stand still prayer or the thing that is blocking the possibility of that sun stand still prayer from coming to pass. That's kind of a tongue twister. Everybody say sun stand still three times fast. I'm kidding, you don't have to say that. That was a joke. I really just wanted to take a drink of water. 
But this is, this is something that I think could, could be a roadblock. This is something that I think could stop us. Now, we're going we're gonna to kind of jump around Joshua this morning. We're going to start at the end of Joshua. This is all the way getting close to the end of Joshua's life. This is after they've already conquered all of the land. You know, this is kind of ruining the end of the story if you don't know the story of Joshua. They've conquered all the land. They've divided up all of the land among the 12 tribes. Everyone has their piece. Everyone has their section they get to go to. It's all good. The promise has been fulfilled. And now it's just kind of moving on into the next phase of life that God has for them. And so um, one of the things that happened was there was a group of people that were, that were traveling with the Israelites, and they came, God had commanded them, they had to go and help fight the battles, but they weren't going to dwell in the land. So at the end, when, once they had conquered all of the land, they were going to get sent back across on the other side of the Jordan River, which they had crossed at the beginning of the book. It's a, uh, Joshua, right at the beginning of, of Joshua, where they talk about how they crossed, had this miraculous crossing over the Jordan River, and the water stopped, just like it did with Moses, and... and um, and so they had to go back on the other side of, of, of the river, and they had to kind of set up their own life apart from where the Israelites would be settling in Israel. And so that's what is happening right before we get to this passage. That group of people has gone over to set up their, to set up their land, and, and then they get afraid. They get afraid that, that someday down the road that Israel will no longer allow them over into Israel to worship, and so they decide they're going to build their own altar and that was not a good idea back in that day. It's not the same now, but, but they were going to build their own altar just in case they couldn't get back over the river to worship. And so that's where we'll pick it up in uh, chapter 22 of Joshua, verse 18, if you want to turn there. Joshua 22, verse 18. And this refers back to where we're going to head in our topic this morning. Verse 18. And are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. Now he's talking to the people who have left the community of Israel. And he's saying, if you rebel against the Lord today because of what you're doing, even though you're not connected to our community, God will rebel against the whole community. He'll be angry against the whole community of Israel. Verse 19, if the land you possess is defiled, Come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. Verse 20, when Achan, son of Zerah, acted unfaithfully regarding the devoted things, did not wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. And I hope that last verse will be the one that kind of sticks in your mind as we go through this morning. He was not the only one who died for his sin. Now, who is this Achan guy, and why does he matter? Well, we got to go back to chapter 6 and 7 to kind of figure out who Achan was. This is not referring to Garth Brooks or his Achan breaking heart. Yeah, somebody should have moaned over that one. <laughs> was it Garth Brooks? Is that the right guy? I I just don't know anything about music, in case you wondered. (laughs) Billy Ray Cyrus, yeah, I just remember the song, and I'm not going to sing it. Um, You don't have to worry. 
Achan was one of the guys who was fighting the battles, and God had kind of given them some specific commands about this particular battle. Now, just before this is, this is Jericho. Everyone, anyone heard of Jericho, the Battle of Jericho? I was going to play a song that my choir sang in college about Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, my Lord, Joshua at the Battle of... Anyone heard that song? Kind of an old, an old song. Yeah, well, there's, there's this part in the song, and this is the famous part of the story of Jericho, is when... Um, is when the walls come a-tumbling, the walls come a-tumbling down, right? That's the part of the song that everyone likes. And then, and then all the people of, of Joshua are commanded to shout. So when they hear the trumpet blast, then everyone is supposed to shout, and then everyone shouts, and the walls come tumbling down. So I thought it'd be fun if we could try that just this morning. I'm kidding. We're not going to shout. Uh, we need these walls to be standing. <laughs> it's raining outside. I don't think anyone wants to get that wet. Um, but they shouted. So God had commanded them to go as, as a whole tribe, as a whole, as a whole community, to go and march around Jericho once a day, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which had the, the Ten Commandments and kind of the stuff that represented God's presence. And they marched around it once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were supposed to go around it seven times. And then after the seventh time, they would give the command to shout. And then they would blow the trumpet and they would shout. And then the walls would come tumbling down. And that is where we pick up right now. So they have already marched around for six days. This is the seventh day. They've marched around for seven times. And now in verse, at the end of verse 16, we come to Joshua telling the people to shout. The end of verse 16, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Pay attention to that statement. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute... And all who are in her house will be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. Verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. I want to talk about these devoted things because it could be potentially confusing if you don't understand them. The devoted things were things that came out of Jericho, and they were, there was like money. It was like silver and gold and iron. It was all the metals, all the things that kind of had worth. And they, they were, before God was taking them, they were devoted to, you know, to a God or to a community that was against God. And so they were devoted to bad things. They were devoted to evil, basically, is how you could, how you could explain it. So, so these devoted things that God is talking about are the things that were devoted against God, devoted to evil, devoted to opposition with God. And so the only person then that could reclaim them and purify them and use them for good would be God. Man could not use them in a way that would honor God. Man couldn't do anything with them that would bring glory to God because he was only man and they were set up against God. And so God wanted to take the devoted things and then devote them to him and he would purify them and they would be used for God's glory instead of against God's glory. So when you hear that word devoted, devoted things, that's what is going on. So, Keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Something I want to say real quick about the devoted things. When we're fully devoted to God, we can't be devoted to anything else. When we're fully devoted to God, we can't be devoted to anything else. Sin offends God because it means that something else is still number one 
When there's something in your life that you're just not willing to give up, then God still hasn't taken his place on the throne of your life. Devotion to God trumps any other devotion. Sin is still as being unwilling to give up those other devotions. So, what's the big deal with these devoted things? Now, let's go to chapter 7 and see what happens with Achan and the devoted things. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. You see, they, they blew the trumpets, the walls came tumbling down, they went in, conquered the city, burned it to the ground, everything was all good. Or at least it appeared that everything was all good. Something else you need to know is that the Israelites had not experienced defeat at all up until this point. The Israelites had not experienced even the loss of life in their battles, conquering the land that God had promised to them. God had provided for them. God had taken care of them, and he had paved the way for them to take over the land that he had promised. But the Israelites, chapter 7, acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, so he's going into another battle, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men and take it, and do not uh, weary all the people, for only a few men are there. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 men. So for, for a, a community, a group of people who hadn't experienced any death at all up to this point, all of a sudden, 36 of their men died. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same, sprinkling dust on their heads. That signifies that they're mourning and that they're weeping and they're, they're sorrowful about what happened. Verse 7, Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will we do for your great name? Joshua's kind of having a pretty deep pity party here. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, and they have put them with their own possessions. Some interesting things I just want to point out really quick. When, when, when sin enters the camp, it's kind of a dangerous place to be. You see, when, when God calls you out to do something, when God sends you on a mission to do something, and then all of a sudden you, st you start deciding that other things are more important, it's a dangerous place to be. Achan's sin killed 36 men. I wonder what we're killing by, by our sin. Achan's sin killed 36 men. What are we killing with our sin? And notice just how deeply sin can affect a community quickly. It can just take a community and just drive it down into the ground with, with, with force. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like a river. 
And then Joshua tore his clothes and, and fell face down. And the elders did the same and sprinkled dust on their foreheads. And, and Joshua goes into that big, long speech about how it would have been better if they'd stayed on the other side of the Jordan, if they'd stayed back away from the promise that God had sent them on. And, and it just kind of all of a sudden, it just took, it overwhelmed Israel. The sin of Achan overwhelmed the whole community. And all of a sudden, the whole community was faced with the wrath of God. It's a dangerous thing to be in sin. So what happens with Achan? Well, um, we're going to, I'll just skip to the, skip to the end to tell you what happened because it's kind of cruel and we're not going to do this this morning, so don't worry. Um, uh, so, so they, they kind of go through this process of trying to figure out who it was that stole the devoted things. They didn't know who it was, and they brought all the people out, and they brought them out tribe by tribe. And, and right before that, they said, you know, you know purify yourselves for tomorrow. We're going we're to figure this thing out. And so everyone was supposed to re, you know, renew their covenant with God. And then, and then the, day, the, the day came when they were going to bring all the tribes out, and they brought all the tribes out one by one. And then God told which, which tribe was supposed to stop, and, and so that was the tribe that stopped, and then he, he narrowed it down to the clan, and he narrowed it down to the family, and then he narrowed it down to the person, and then Joshua sent some people back to Achan's tent because they finally figured out that it was Achan, and they found the devoted things that he had buried in the ground underneath his tent. And so they brought them back, and then this is what happened in verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and his daughters, his cattle, donkey and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the valley of Achor ever since, which means trouble. Yeah, you think? Trouble. So um, this is the Old Testament. By the way, if you, uh, if you have never read the Bible, Joshua is a good place to start. Lots of interesting things happen in Joshua. Genesis, I mean, it's kind of rated R, so I hope I didn't offend you. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen someone stoned. I haven't, and I hope to never see that in person. But um, that's pretty intense what happened there. Luckily, we have something totally different today called grace, and we don't have to worry about being stoned for our sin. Should have, amen. amen. <laughs> we could go back if you want to try. Um, we got some stones back here in the in the back room. We could. Um. You see, what happened was was there was this sin that was in the camp, and and it overwhelmed the entire camp, and it was the sin of just one man, the sin of one man. He. He took some things that were devoted. See, they were devoted for sin before, but then God was going to reclaim them and devote them to his holiness, to his glory. And so then they were now devoted to God's glory. And he took that thing that was devoted to God's glory and he hid it in his tent. He took that thing that was devoted for God's purpose, for what God wanted to do to make his name known, and he was selfish with it and, and he put it in his own place so that he could have his own thing. That's where the problem is with sin. You see, when we're, when we're overwhelmed by something, that's what controls us. And when we're overwhelmed by sin, then it is the sin that controls us. And that's why we read that passage from Jeremiah about 
you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know, we want the, we want the first part, right? We want the, for I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the good part. We want, we want the plans for God to prosper us, for, for God to give us a hope and a future. But, but then it comes to the next part. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. See, I am, I'm growing more and more convinced that this, this is kind of the whole big picture that God has for us as a community. This is, this is the whole thing that he wants us to figure out. This, this, is the big, this is the big picture of who we're supposed to be as a church. We're not supposed to just try and do things. We're not just supposed to try and, and you know, make our name known. We're supposed to make God's name known. And this is one of the things I love about, about our passage, Micah 6, 8, that we're using as a community. It's because the very end of it, walk humbly with your God. If we're walking humbly with our God, then, then we're not going to be doing things for our own glory. We're going to be doing everything for God's glory. But this is, this is a big deal. This is why sin is a big deal. You know, we, we, we live under grace, and that's a great thing. Grace is a great thing. You'll never hear me say that grace is a bad thing. In fact, if, if anything, grace is the most amazing thing that we could ever receive because every single one of us in this room, including me, needs God's grace. But, but grace is, is not something that we're supposed to take for granted and then live the rest of our lives like we don't care about that grace. In fact, there are some passages in the Bible that talk about how we are not supposed to do that. Hebrews, if you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. This is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus had come and died on the cross. This is after grace had been established as the avenue through which all of us will receive the righteousness of God and be able to stand before God someday. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I was going to refer back to what we were just talking about. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Achan died without mercy. He was stoned to death. He did not have a chance to make up for his sin. He did not have a chance to get it right. He and his family were stoned and burned. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who treats as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Hebrews 13, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, not the covenant that passed away, the old covenant, but God who, through the eternal covenant, which was established through the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, may the God of that eternal covenant, the God who brought Jesus back from the dead, our Lord and Savior, the God who, who came and walked among us as a shepherd of the sheep, may that God equip you 
with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I've talked about this before, not this specific passage, but, but I think one of the reasons some of us struggle with certain habits and getting over certain things is because we never draw on the eternal, almighty, sufficient power of the everlasting God that is dwelling within us for those who have received Christ. See, when we receive Christ, we, we receive his presence. We receive the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and to every single believer, every single one who, who, who believes and receives Jesus Christ has that God alive in them. And, and I know that's kind of complicated, complex. It's hard to understand. I'm definitely still trying to learn and understand what that means. But, but when we're trying to turn away from these things, we try to do them by our own abilities and by our own strengths. When we're trying to turn away from this, like, it's like we, we try to muster up enough of our own will to say no, right? We try to muster up of, of our own ability to just stand against these things when, when that's not what God intended at all. See, God wants to overwhelm you. He wants to totally overwhelm your life and wants to totally take control of, of it. And then, and then when, when he does that, when he overwhelms you from this point on, then he's going to give you the power to start to conquer those things. From this point on, you have the power of the God, the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You have the God, the power of the God who made the sun stand still living in you and helping you move beyond those things. Here's the conflict. We're fallen. We have a fallen body. We have, we have a fallen world that we live in. We have all of these things that we have this old man and we have this new man. We have all these things of, of the old creation that still are attacking us and still live within us that we will never shake until we get to heaven. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. There are some things that we're never going to get over. But God isn't so concerned about you getting over them as, as he is concerned about you trusting him holy. God isn't as concerned that you struggle with the thing as he is concerned that you are totally overwhelmed by him and his presence. You see, we get so caught up on the sins and the don'ts. We get, we get so caught up on the I should not do this list. We get, we get caught up on the Ten Commandments, which are good, and I'm not going to say that we shouldn't try to live out the Ten Commandments. God gave them to Moses for a purpose, and we should still be working to live them out. Everything that God says for us to do, we should be trying to do. But we get caught up on the don'ts, on the things, and we spend all of our effort and energy trying not to do things. When what God really wants is for us to seek him with all of our heart. What God really wants is for us to, is to, to shed the control that those have, give control over to God, and to seek him with all of our heart. He wants us to, to put it behind and say, that is no longer something that is going to overwhelm me. That is no longer something that has control over me. That is no longer something that has power over me. Instead, the only thing that has power and control over me is the Spirit of God living in my heart. Remember we talked back a long time ago when we went through that, that, uh, that series about uh, the mind of Christ, setting your heart and your mind on things above. And we came to that passage um, in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, I've got to find it here, find it in the actual Bible, Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated. 
at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, that's the promise that we're living toward. That's the promise that we're, that we're moving toward every single day for, for those of us who are in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Remember, we talked about when you're baptized, when, when you go down and you come back out, that represents how, how your old life died, and now you are raised to a new life in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart on things above. It kind of sounds like this passage. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And then listen what happens in verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Now, historically, this is talking about how Israel had been taken captive. Israel had, had lost their home. Israel had been moved out to a different city, and they, they could no longer dwell in the place that God had promised them. This is way after Joshua. And this, this, this prophecy in the book of Jeremiah is coming to that group of people, and he's telling them to, 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 not, to not take a step back. Don't, don't don't stop growing as a community, but grow and fill the land that you occupy. And then this day is going to come when I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and I will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. There is something that is holding us captive that God wants to bring us back from. There is something that each of us have been facing, maybe our entire lives, that God wants to bring us back from. There is something that, that has just, just had a hold on us for every moment that we can remember. There is something that, that, has just been, that has been so much a part of our lives that we cannot imagine our life without it. And that is the captivity that God wants to bring us out of. That is the captivity that God wants to set us free from. God wants to set us free for his glory. He wants to set us free by his power so that we can live according to his glory and his ultimate purpose for our life. He wants to do something so great, so awesome, so powerful in our lives that he gets the credit. He wants to do something that you could not conquer. He wants to do something that you could not get over on your own because he wants you to be a witness. He wants you to be a witness for him. He wants you to be able to point to his glory. He wants you to be able to point to his power and to be able to say, I did not do this, but God did this in me. You will seek me and you will find me when you will seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you and bring you back from captivity. We all have sin. I have sin. We all struggle with things. We all have areas of our life that, that we're not proud of. But the question is, Does that have control of you? The question is, is that what you seek with all of your heart? Are you seeking the things of this world? It's not a bad thing to be in the world. God put us in the world on purpose. But, 
But he wants us to be in the world to change the world, not to become like the world. He wants us to be in the world because he wants us to be a witness to his glory in the world. He doesn't want us to be transformed to the image of the world. He wants us to be transformed into his image from glory to glory. And when there's that thing that just, that just has a hold on us, that we just, it's, it's not so much that, that we can't shake it, it's that we don't want to. It's not so much that, that we can't get past it, but it's just that it's comfortable. It's easy for me. It's what I know. I'd rather stay there. It's when we're there that God starts to have a major problem with us. It's when we're there that, that we come in, in danger of spitting in the face of Jesus, trampling his name underfoot. And I don't know about you, I do not want to be guilty of that. I don't ever want to be known as someone who trampled the blood of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, who died a painful, embarrassing, humiliating death in my place on a cross. I don't want to be known as someone who trampled that underfoot and took that lightly. And we live in a culture that, that has done its best to make sin not that big of a deal. A lot of our churches don't really talk about sin anymore. And yet that's why Jesus came. For the forgiveness of sins. So this morning, I'm hoping we can take some time as we, as we kind of move toward the end here of purifying ourselves, of purifying ourselves and, and just, just stepping into what God has for us for our future, not being chained, not being captive to the past, not being held in bondage to those things, but, but even if we cannot overcome them, that, that we put all of our focus and our attention and our desire on the God who can. Even if we do not have the ability to overcome and to step past and to move beyond whatever that may be, we put all of our attention and our hope and our trust in a God who can. We put our trust in a God who can make a sun stand still. Because if you remember what happened, there were five armies that came together at Gibeon. There were five armies that had seen how Joshua and his army had moved. And just before that, was this. Just before Joshua sent them and conquered those five armies that had all come together was this moment, this moment where sin was purified from the camp. And right after that, they renewed their covenant with God. They renewed their covenant to follow his commands and to step into what God had for them for the future. I want to see the sun stand still. I want to see the sun stand still in my life. I want to see the sun stand still in your life. I want to see the sun stand still in this church. I want to see the sun stand still in this community. I want to see the sun stand still in this city and in this county, in this state. And I am crazy enough to believe that God can do that. But we have got to come together and seek God with all of our heart. We have got to come together and, and put those things behind us that we're seeking. Put those things behind us that, that we're going after. We have to put behind us the pride. We have to put behind us the arrogance. We have to put behind us whatever sin you are struggling with and whatever sin denotes that you're not trusting in God. And we have to move forward into a future where we put all of our trust on the God who can make the sun stand still. Because if we're living in this, 
if we're living in this bondage, if we're living in this captivity, we will never see God do amazing things. You know why? Because he's not God of our life yet. We're still God. We're still in control. We are still sitting on the throne. To see the sun stand still, you've got to give up control. To see the sun stand still, you've got to get off the throne, let Jesus sit there, and then let him have command of your life. It's the only way to see the sun stand still. And you know what? The sun stood still. The sun literally stood still. Joshua and the Israelites defeated five armies with a huge help from God. But the sun stood still. I'm crazy enough to believe the sun can stand still this morning. Crazy enough to believe that, that every single one of us can leave here with, with a new, fresh power of God in our hearts to go out and live a new life that he has called us to do. Every morning, his mercies are, are new. Great is his faithfulness. We are a new creation. He, he can help us through his power, through his Holy Spirit to shake that old man, that old creation, and to live a new life, moving to, moving, living and moving toward an eternal, everlasting creation that looks like him. But we can't do it on ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We have to have the grace of God. We have to have Jesus sitting on the throne of our life. So the band's going to come. We're going to spend some time reflecting on this. And as they do, I just, I just want to have every one of us, if you will, bow your head and close your eyes as much as you can. Stop focusing on what's going on around you. As much as you can, stop focusing on, on what you have going on as soon as you leave this place today. Stop focusing on all of the worries that come as soon as we close this service. And focus on that area of your life where you need the sun to stand still. Focus on that, that area that, that, that you may not be trusting God fully, that, that area where you... Just like it. You like whatever it is, and you don't want to give it up. But that's keeping you from experiencing God and his fullness in your life. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there are probably a few different people here this morning. There are probably some of you who, who have never accepted Christ for the first time, and you don't even know what it means. So for you, what you need to do this morning is to repent, and that's just a fancy word for turn. You need to turn away from your past and turn toward the future that God has for you. You need to turn away from, from that sin, turn away from the life that you loved, and love God more, so much more that you're willing to give your life to that. So you need to turn away from that and, and, and turn toward becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, then then you need to confess your sin. and Then God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us, cover us in the righteousness of his son. What an amazing, amazing promise. So if you're a follower of Christ, confess your sin this morning. Call on God to defeat that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive within you. 
We cannot live the life God has called us to live. We cannot do the right things that God wants us to do all on our own. And that's why we need grace. That's also why we need to call on the name of Jesus, whose spirit is alive in us, whose spirit is in this place this morning, whose spirit wants to do a miraculous work in you and ask him to work out his salvation in your heart. So I'm going to be down here in the front. We're going to have some men down here in the front and uh, for you to pray with. And I would encourage you, if you're one of those people, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never had the power of a living God alive and active within you to help you fight these things that you cannot fight on your own, come up and talk to one of us. If you are a follower of Christ and you just have a sin that you need to confess, you need to get it off of your chest, you need to get it off of your mind, get it out and purify yourself and come up and talk with one of us. If you are just struggling by being overwhelmed by life and and just letting God sit on the throne of your life, then come up and, and let us pray for you. Let us pray with you. But don't sit in this point anymore. Don't sit in this place where where you are controlled by the things of this world. But be overwhelmed by God this morning. Be overwhelmed by a God who loved you enough to send his son to die in your place. Be overwhelmed by a God who paid a price for your sins, even though you did absolutely nothing to deserve that. And be overwhelmed by a God who was powerful enough to conquer the grave. Be overwhelmed by a God who was powerful enough to defeat death be overwhelmed by that this morning because whatever you're facing isn't that big whatever you're facing isn't as big as death and Jesus beat that it's God's kindness on us that leads us to repentance it's his faithfulness that that gives us the opportunity to stand here this morning covered in his righteousness Have you accepted that kindness today? Have you put your faith in that Jesus today? If not, let's do it now.